Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 309 of The Freelancer Show. In this episode, our panel is Jonathan Stark. Hello. And I'm Ruben Lerner, and we are going to talk to you this week about the essential books you should read or the books you should read for consulting. Um, I guess I'll preface this by saying, um, so like, you know, I do training. I'm constantly telling people that if you want to be successful in high tech, you need to constantly be learning and constantly like learning about new technologies. But you know, it's true in a lot of fields. And if you are a consultant, then you are running a business. And if you're not constantly learning to improve your business, you're probably doing something wrong as well. So we're going to try to go through some books here that will help you in your business in various ways. Uh, not surprisingly, each of us has our own like lists and there is some overlap, but like rep- represents our interests as well. And um, so we'll have lots of books to recommend and hopefully you'll read some of them and improve and your business will be better off as a result. Uh, Jonathan, go for for it. Why don't you start us off? Sure. What is the book one should read? For yeah. Book everyone should read? I have, yeah, I've got a, I've got a, a long list of, of books for people who are running their own business. And if you're a freelancer, you are running a business and there's a craft to running a business. And just like learning how to do copywriting or, you know, photography or development, you need to practice it if you want to get good at it and getting good at it means making more money. So uh, it is important to sharpen your saw, as Ruben pointed out. So I uh, I have a, a long list. It's not really in a particular most important order because it sort of depends on what you're looking for, what your needs are. So I kind of have them grouped a little bit more by category. But I will start off with probably the most important all-around book, which I have to say is Value-Based Fees by Alan Weiss. So in, in terms of an all-around book, it... It touches on, of course, pricing. It gives away in the title. Uh, it talks about pricing, but it also talks about uh, his concepts like market gravity, which is how to attract more and better clients to you, um, creating a diversified list of offerings, some things like books and uh, audio, you know, paid audio courses and workshops and training. So he talks about all sorts of different product development, um, how to 
ways to get yourself into publications, you know, be contrarian so that, you know, you're controversial and uh, people spread your stuff, basically. So this book is, it, it's really a tour de force. It touches on pretty much everything. I'm, I'm forgetting a million things, but it's real good. And if I was going to knock it, the only things I would say is that it's, it, there are maybe 20% of it is specifically useful to management consultants and perhaps not other kinds of consultants. So there's maybe 20% of the book I kind of had to either discard or sort of rework to make work in a software consulting business because it just, the deliverables are drastically different in many cases. And, uh, and the other thing is it's, it's pretty old. It's from, I want to say it's from the eighties or early nineties and it, you know, it shows a little bit. I think, um, the eighties were a completely different time and I don't know, it, it feels like it's an older book, but still there's just, I still, I would say it's my number one all around book. Let's see what else. I think my next one, um, I think Reuven and I, uh, are on both of our lists, the positioning manual by panelist Philip Morgan. Amazing. Amazing stuff. Yeah, it's great. So I'm going to say I, for years, for years and years and years, thought of it as a marketing plus. I mean, I went so far as like put it on my website. Not that so many people were reading it. But <laughs> on my website, like I will use lots of different technologies, whatever you need to get the job done. And I thought this was like the most brilliant thing ever. <laughs> um and because like, look how flexible I am and I can do it with Perl, I can do it with Ruby, I can do it with Python, I can do it with JavaScript, you need it, I will do it. And um, I remember hearing about positioning and hearing about niching. I was like, that is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> what kind of idiot's going to do something like that? Um, and I started like hearing Philip talking about it and I read his book and I think there were multiple aha moments of reading the book. One was wow, this makes a lot of sense. The other one was every time, every time I had an objection, I would be like, but wait, what about, I would turn the page and he'd say, you're probably thinking. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, how did he do that? <laughs> it was like scary, impressive. Yeah. Um, and and I, I also was, I mean, really the whole thing is impressive, but I, I, I like the fact that also he sort of came up with not just, okay, you should do it, go, bye-bye. Mm -hmm. But it was a, like a workbook. You work through the process of what do I want to do? Where's the demand? Who are the clients I like? And you sort of he, he helps you come with a game plan for doing it, as opposed to throwing you to the the wolves of you know of capitalism. Mm -hmm. um, I, I the people I talk to cannot believe that being a specialist is better than being a generalist. But those of us who do it know it is way better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, as Blair Enns once said, you know, people don't want to be pigeonholed until they find out that the pigeonholes are stuffed with money. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. It is true. And it's not, and there's a, a slight distinction. If, if people are listening to this and saying, no, you guys are crazy. Uh, I want to I learn everything all the time. It doesn't preclude that. It's, this is about your marketing. It's about the way that you talk about your business. It's, you know, what you put on your website, you can still continue to do whatever you want behind the scenes. And if random leads come in and so on and so forth, you can take them if you like, 
my prediction is that over time you'll stop because you'll re recognize that uh, the area where you've built up your domain knowledge starts to get easier and easier and easier for you to serve, uh, you know, and make more money. And you'll be less attracted to the sugar high of like, ooh, I've never worked with an automotive manufacturer before. Uh, so that's a, that is great. That's a, it's a great book. If you're looking, if you're having, the only reason I didn't say it as my very first book is because it's specific to a particular thing. And the, the symptom you have, if you have the symptom that you're not getting enough leads, you know, if you get a lead a month or you know a lead a year, then this book will help you fix that. It's one hundred percent. Um, here's another one. This one is called selling to big companies by Jill Conrath. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she's a sales maven. Uh, I actually interviewed her on another show recently and she was just incredible. Uh, she, we had her on the business of authority and she just blew us away. And if you now again, this book is for a specific, a person who is specifically trying to sell into the enterprise, so to speak. And she gets right up in it. Um, it's, it, it gives you email scripts. It gives you phone uh, scripts. If you're going to make phone calls, it tells you whether or not you should use email or phone call or in person. Uh, it gets into everything and you'll find that it aligns very, very closely with the, the advice given in the positioning manual and value-based fees around having a laser focused value proposition before you try to interrupt a busy executive's day. So you need to know what metric they're trying to move or what metric you're capable of moving that they care about. And you just cut straight to the chase. It's not an elevator pitch. It's more like, you know, hey, I help people with morale problems in their security team. Is that something that you guys be interested in? You know, like super clear and they're either into it or they're not. And if they're not, you'll, you'll just get a quick no or you won't hear back from them. But if they are, they're going to throw money at you. They're going to be like, yeah, 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 let's talk right now. Call me at this number. So if that's, if that's a target for you, you know, giant companies, fortune 500 or whatever, then, uh, I, I found that book to be great. She also has a couple of other books that are really good. Um, but you can check out her interview. If you want to get a preview, you can check out her interview on the business of authority. Yeah. I, I haven't had a chance to hear the interview yet, but I saw it come through my podcast feed. I was like, Oh yeah, I want to hear her. So I, read the book based on your recommendation. And it was another one of those. Cause so I had, I had started to reach out to some large companies to try to do training there and, you know, crickets <laughs> and basically within three or four, four three, four days, three, within three or four pages of her book, she writes something like, you know, selling big companies. So here's how you should not write your email. <laughs> and I think, Oh my God, this is what I did. No wonder. Um, so I've not yet had a chance to like, actually follow through and try her advice. But it was clear from the get go that she, she, she's, you know, she, she knows what she's doing and it, you know, nothing's going to guarantee success, but getting into the mindset of how these companies are working and how these people are working and how you should approach them and how, like, as you said now, like basically if you're really solving a problem, they want to hear from you, but you have to phrase it in a way that's not going to waste their time. Mm -hmm. They're not going to pick up the phone if you're going to go start a, like a 30 minute speech. Right. Um, so I, yeah, now, now you've reminded me, I need to not only listen to the interview, but like follow through and try some of those techniques because they sound, they sound very good. Yeah. She, she was great. 
Uh, the book's great. She's great. Her website is amazing. It's just crawling with free stuff to download. It's, it's really good. Okay. So while we're on the sales thing, there's a book that Philip recommended to me called The Secret of Selling Anything by Harry Brown. And if I'm not mistaken, he wrote this in the 60s and it was published uh, posthumously by his wife. And when I tell you this is like the best book on selling I've ever read, like general selling, it's, it is insanely good. And, and here's how you know that you should read it. If you think selling is gross or you think you hate doing it or you don't want to do it, this is the book for you because it's the, you know, how not to do it. High pressure. It's not, you know, I have to have a big personality. I have to be an extrovert. I have to be pushy. I have to talk people into things that they don't think they need or they don't actually need. It is the exact opposite of all of that. It's like he even talks about that. He's like, here's why none of that works. And here's how you actually sell anything. And it's all it basically, if I was going to summarize the book in one word, it would be empathy. So, you know, you've, you've got some solutions, you've got whatever you've got and you meet with people all the time. People meet people all the time. And he, you know, just painfully paraphrase the whole thing. It's kind of like, find out what their problems are. Sound familiar? Find out what their problems are and figure out if there's some way you can help them with their problems or if they have aspirations that they haven't been able to reach figure out if there's a way that you can help them with that it's just being empathetic to the the potential buyer and if there's a good fit moving moving the conversation forward and it's just the language that he uses in the book it it's it sort of diffuses all of that hmm, that sort of distasteful feeling that I used to have about sales. Like, I don't know, I don't know why like the used car salesman is the, is like, seems like what everybody thinks of and they, oh, I don't want to do sales and be pushy and have to, you know, trick people into buying a lemon. You know, I don't know, I don't know how that became the avatar for sales, but this book is the antidote to that stereotype. Yeah. Well, I look, look, the fact is like we all want to buy things and we want to buy things that are worthwhile, but you know the used car salesman um, has the reputation of selling you something you don't need for an inflated price that weeks or months down the road just you know infuriates you. Can't believe I paid that much, and I can't believe I got such a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. But if you're selling good things and you're giving value to people, then they're not going to be upset, right? Like we all have products that we bought that we're like, whoa. Well, yeah, we showed it to our friends, and I can't, I'm so happy I bought this. I'm really pleased with it, right? And if mm -hmm. um, so, so you know, a salesperson who helps you there, not a bad thing. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, look at all the things that you don't have buyer's remorse about. You know, someone sold it to you. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's not. It's almost like the used car salesman is is so obviously trying to sell you something that that seems maybe that's the one you notice, and you don't notice all the other people that are selling things to you in a nice way. You know, going right. to imagine going into a shop with with uh, you know the owner, or the shopkeepers there, and she's like a you know sweet grandmotherly type. That I'm thinking of a particular store right by my office. She's not pushy, you know. She definitely wants you to buy stuff, but she also wants to be a long term customer. And she's not gonna she's not gonna jam some something down your throat. She's gonna say, oh, what are you looking? Oh, is it for someone's birthday? You know, she finds out the problem. And she says, oh, you know, here's some cards and here's some jewelry and here's some soap, you know, like it's like a little gift shop. And she's just not going to be like, 
oh, you have to buy this because this is on sale this week. Oh man, you know, it's if if you don't if you think you don't like sales, you don't know what sales is basically. So if you read sell, Secret of Selling Anything by Harry Brown, then you'll you'll get the feel. If you still don't like it after you read that book, then I'll say okay, <laughs> go get a job because you shouldn't be a freelancer. <laughs> Right, well, that's, I mean, you, I think, I'm trying to remember. I think you just made this point a few days ago in your email list, which is if you're a freelancer, I guess we make this point all the time of the show too, but like if you're a freelancer, you're running a business, right? And that's a different skill set from whatever, like programming or designing that you're doing. And so you got, you got to think of it that way and, and improve those skills. It's a step, separate thing to be doing. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, so here's a here's a this one's going to seem weird, but f- it'll it'll make sense. This book will make sense be invaluable to anybody who writes proposals and has to estimate projects. And it is called How to Measure Anything by Douglas Hubbard. And the book it, of all of these books, I think this is the one that changed like expanded my mind more than anything. Like a lot of the other ones are like, "Oh, in good insight, um I probably wouldn't have thought to do it that way. Good tip, you know, stuff like that. Um, a couple of them changed my mind about, you know, like about sales or how to do sales or how to price things like value-based fees. But how to measure anything is about, it's not really a business book. I mean, technically it is, but it, it's not like these other ones. This one just opened my mind to possibility in a way that is hard to describe. Because when he says how to measure anything, he means it. Like, how to measure the beauty of a lake. You know what I mean? How would you even begin to approach that? And he he gets into it by being very, very specific uh, in, important, you know, in an important way, not a, not a semantic, unimportant way, but in an important way, he says, okay, I'm going to define exactly what measure means. I'm going to define exactly what you know, all the things that go into it, why you need it, what needs to be in place for you to even take a measurement and why you would take a measurement. And I'm probably, probably, you know, this is going back a couple of years, but this is how I remember it, which is that there's no reason to take a measurement if you're not trying to make a decision. So the reason to make a measurement is because you've got a choice between two or more options and picking the wrong one carries some sort of negative consequence. So, so that's the precondition for taking a measurement. And this is, true for measuring a piece of wood that you're going to cut to stick on, you know, make a bookshelf. You measure the wood because if you cut it in the wrong place, you're going to wreck it. So I could cut it here. I could cut it here. Okay. So I've got two or more, two or more options. And the consequences of cutting it in the wrong place are that I'm going to have to throw away the piece of wood. Okay. So what am I going to measure? I'm going to measure the length and, you know, Anyway, I'll, I'll drop the wood metaphor because what the, the intangibles are the things that are hard to measure. So if you, you know, deciding whether or not to expand into Europe or uh, something like that, you're like, all right, well, what decision are we trying to make? And uh, in a consultative way, working with everybody there to first get really clear on what the decision is that everyone's trying to make. Uh, let's see what the decision is. Oh, and the consequent, you know, and all, what all the options are, realistic options are, and what the consequences are of each. So what's the risk profile for each option? And, you know, this is all fuzzy, but still you can do it. You can say, oh, 
yeah, I mean, this one would be, this one would really blow up on our face if it went wrong, but it probably won't go wrong. This one probably will go wrong, but it's not that bad. So you can kind of do a five-star rating on likelihood and impact of your different risks. And then you say, okay, what can we measure to find out which one of these is the best choice? And you have to pick something. It can be intangible, like beauty. And then you come up with a way to quantify it in a way that doesn't, it doesn't have to precisely measure it. Now, here's the, the trick with the word measurement. It doesn't have to, you know, characterize it in some very specific way, like a number of inches or pounds or something like that. It needs to have, <clears throat> you need to have enough information to make a meaningful difference in picking the right choice. So it doesn't have to be perfect. It, it just has to be close enough. And if you read through the book, it starts to sink in because he gives tons of examples. Obviously, he's, he does a better job than I'm doing right now, but he gives tons of examples of like, you know, okay, here's, here's this, you know, the situation. We're faced with a, a fork in the road. We're faced with two different paths. Which one, one should we take? And then as a consultant, you would say, well, what are the consequences of going this way? What are the consequences of going that way? What are the risks involved? What are the rewards? All right. Now, what could we measure? And, you know, so on and so forth. You know, this and it's going to start to sound like the why conversation because the to me, the why conversation that I talk about is a hybrid between Alan Weiss's value conversation and the advice that Douglas Hubbard gives in this book. You know, somebody, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. I'm doing a bad job representing it here, but um, in the show notes, I can link to sort of a, a blog post summary uh, from one of my students actually went through, read the book, went through and did a kind of a one sheet on it that I think will give people a sense of what's inside, but it's, it's mind blowing. It is totally mind blowing. So if you have to, if you have to estimate projects, this is a great book to read, especially if you're not oh, good at oh. estimating projects. Right. I mean, I, I, so I, I'd actually never heard of this book before, so I'm going to have to take a look at it. But I remember a few years ago, a friend of mine said, you know how you should charge for training? You should charge based on like the improvement that the, that the programmers will get, like they'll be more productive. I was like, okay, that's great. Like, how do you measure it? So I'm going to guess something like that. He's going to describe how to go into, um, yeah, I mean, or, that would or, be or something along those lines. I, I mean, I think if you went through his process, you would find that the marked improvement would, unless you could do it, uh, that would be hard to set your price on because it's a lagging indicator. Like it's too late at that point. Mm. So unless okay. you're, unless you're setting contingency fees, like if, if, if everybody gets 50% better, you'll pay me this. If everybody gets 90% better, you pay me this. Uh, so you would want to pick a leading indicator. I mean, training, yeah, it, it's, you have to figure out what needle they're trying to move. I say this all the time. You figure out what needle they're trying to move. And then it's like, okay, how can we measure that the needle is moving? And there's always a way. If there isn't a way, it, they wouldn't contact you. They wouldn't know something was out of whack if they weren't looking at something. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that's always true with training. But, yeah, training um, training has always occupied a uh, to me training is more like a productized service where you're delivering essentially the same thing every time and it's priced in advance people pay in advance and 
Yeah, I mean, to me, it's a productized service, so you're not doing an estimate. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price to performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash freelancers. Right. And, and also, in many ways, it's seen as perk for the employees as much as something that will make them more productive. Like, it's sold as something that will make them more productive and they will help the company. But at the end of the day, like, I mean, I just asked my students today, like, who's really going to use machine learning? <laughs> and, like, you know... No one, <laughs> but but they feel like if they don't learn it at least a little bit and have the certificate on their wall, then they're not keeping up with the Joneses. Yep, yeah, it's professional development, which is attractive to employees. So you could look at it. You you could say, like Reuven, if you were going to do like I don't know, this is a stretch, but one of the angles you could take is that I help uh, the world's biggest tech companies retain top talent. Oh, how do you do that? Oh, by putting you know in place these wonderful, delightful, cutting-edge uh, professional development programs, and it's and then it, you could sell it that way. I'll bet I don't know if it would. I, I'm not saying that people would buy, but I'm saying you could present it that way, and uh, it'd be like, uh huh, interesting, because then that would change the whole value proposition of why the person was buying it. So for people who are interested in retaining top talent or perhaps re- attracting top talent. Say, oh, well, we've got, you know, these best courses in the world on cutting edge technologies, totally up to date. It's the same thing they do when, when um, they, they want people to come in and work on that stuff. But if people, if big companies don't have projects in, say, machine learning or, or virtual reality or whatever, they can't just make up a project to keep their developers happy. But they could hire someone to come in and train them. Anyway, right. sort of spitballing. But the, the idea of measuring their improvement after the the course is over is that's a tough one because it's too late at that point it's like it's like measuring the doneness of cookies with a smoke alarm that's that's a ron baker joke that's that's great yeah you want something ahead of time you want to be able to look through the oven door and see that they're getting golden brown so okay uh have you got have you got any other ones i I, um well there's uh amy hoy's uh you know just effing ship Mm mm-hmm um, which is, it's basically the, okay, you want to get a product done. You want to get it out. I mean, typically a book, but it doesn't have to be a book. And she's like, you need a plan and it needs to be a practical plan. And she sort of walks you through what you should be doing to, you know, get off your rear end or maybe sit down on your rear end <laughs> and get, you know, get, get the thing typed out and done. Um, and it's, it's, a uh, as I said, it's very practical, but it's also sort of a sense of don't worry about making it perfect. You know, the, the sort of perfect is the enemy of the good. Mm-hmm. Get a version out. You can always improve it. You can always iterate it. Um, and um, I mean, I haven't exactly followed what she's written there to the letter, but that was definitely one of the inspirations for when I started getting weekly Python exercise out. I was like, you know what? I am just going to do this. I am going to announce it. I'm going to sell it. And the first group was small, but I got great feedback. And the second group was bigger. And I'm about to do a third group. And it, 
if I hadn't sort of just, if, if I kept saying, well, but what if, what if, what if, I probably still would have not shipped anything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and she's just a really hysterical writer, I think. Yeah, I agree. I also read it and the, it, JFS has become a watchword in a couple of different masterminds I'm in where you can, you can just see somebody procrastinating or, you know, over-polishing or waiting, 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 whatever the reason is, putting it off. Oh, I just need to figure out how to integrate Drip with Crowdcast and maybe Zapier can do it and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then, you know, someone jumps in as like JFS, ship it, just get it out the door, <laughs> minimum viable product. And I'm not saying do sloppy stuff, but just cut the scope to the point where you know, you can, you can get it out the door, forget the bells and whistles, just find out if you can sell the thing first, instead of wasting all this time perfecting it for this imaginary group of customers that you may or may not have. Yeah. Wait, it's, it was it's short. It's too, only so. after I shipped. Oh yeah. Yeah. Super short. What is it like? I have it up here now in PDF. It's 124 pages. Yeah. And, and she, she sort of, you, it was like, you know, dog fooding it. Like she, she like wrote and shipped in like the course of two or three days yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, another one, you know, friend of the show, Brendan Dunn's Double Your Freelancing, uh, mm. Double Your Freelancing Rates. And this was for me, like, sort of came at about the same time, maybe a little before I read Philip's book. And this was where I realized, okay, like, consulting does not mean just finding people who are going to pay me more per hour. It means having a totally different mindset about how I'm thinking about me versus the customer, that I am, you know... I'm not just doing programming, I'm providing business value. Um, And if I sell myself that way, if I think of myself that way, it's a game changer. Um, Because like when you you hear double your freelancing rates, you're sort of like, well, um, you know, okay, I'll just double my rates. (laughs) Voila, now I've gone from $100 an hour to $200 an hour, or from 200 to 400, like at a certain point it has to end. Um, And so, so even if you don't totally implement what's going on there, I think the, the mindset of uh, think yourself as an expert to whom people are turning as opposed to a hired help, you know, hired help whom they don't have to pay unemployment to mm-hmm. or for at the end of the, the gig is a, is a very, very valuable lesson. Um, and wh- while I'm at it, by the way, an excellent book is, of course, Hourly Billing is Nuts oh. by Jonathan. <laughs> which, I, I, honestly, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> which which is, of course, similar in in, you know, I mean, we, we, we get you like, you know, advice and suggestions all the time here, but a lot, I mean, I would say it's less about hourly billing and more about how to think of yourself and how to have people see you as the expert, um, that instead of worrying about, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's, it's, um, you know, they should, they should be asking you and they sh- for help and they should be pleased to be asked asking you for help and you should be making them so much money that they'll come back to you and pay you tons more to make them 10 times tons more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's not the thing about hourly billing is nuts is that it's more of a manifesto than a how to it's, it's like, it's about opening people's eyes to the insanity. So if you are still, if, it's for people who still are clinging to our, the concept of hourly. They're scared to let go of it because it feels risky because it is risky, but it's also, you know, that's where all the rewards are. So you can take calculated risks, but it it doesn't really teach you how to do it. I mean, there's some examples and things, but 
it's really about changing your mind about it or your partner's mind about it. You know, somebody in your business, something like that. You know, your boss, perhaps you could send him a copy or, you no, know, well, thanks for the shout out. Um, sure. Speaking of friends of the show, there's another one that um, uh, everybody talks about. You've probably read it, dear listener, but it's The Brain Audit by Sean D'Souza, which yes. is it's a quirky book that's full of really good insights. And they're, you know, he starts off with this metaphor of there are seven red bags going on the, the, the roundabout, the on the uh, what's it called? the uh, luggage conveyor belt. And the person is not going to leave the airport until they have all seven of their red bags. And the concept is, you know, the metaphor is that the bags are like, there's like seven things you need to answer in a buyer's mind before they're going to pull out their wallet. And it's just great. And it's a, he's got a sort of, like I said, a quirky storytelling style and he uses tons of very visual examples and some of my most useful kind of templates and things that I use, I got directly from that book. So like how to get a killer testimonial, I got straight from that book. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's like magic. So another short book, uh, easy to read. Um, there's, there's really, it's good. It's really good. It's sort of a general excuse me, general purpose. It's not really about sales. It's more about the psychology of what's going on in people's minds when they buy stuff. And the cool thing is you can, you know, the cool thing is it happens in your mind too. So you can kind of read the book and then observe your own behavior and be like, son of a gun, he's right. I did do all those seven things. You know, it's all <laughs> subconscious normally. You don't really think about it. It's like, oh, just, you know, it's like a gut reaction. It seems like, but you actually do go through these steps and it's, that's cool. It's good stuff. Um, it's not a book, but I'm going to strongly recommend people look at Patrick McKenzie's website at his many essays about business and consulting. Um, he was also like, it was this period of time when I was sort of having my mind blown. And I, I, I mean, I've been freelancing for a long time. I've been doing it since 1995. Um, and it took probably, I don't know, 20 years or something, uh, you know, 16, 17 years until I encountered a few people, including Patrick to sort of explain no, you need to think of yourself differently. And he talks about pricing. He talks about value. He talks about, um, you know, thinking of yourself as a business. I mean, he gives this story about how, like, he, he met with some some friend of his and gave him some business advice. And the guy said, what you just told me over lunch was, like, worth $10,000. Um, and he was like, wait, wait, how could that be? It was so easy for, like, these are things that are obvious for me. And that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. It's obvious for, like, it's obvious for the consultant it's obvious for the advice giver but that does not make it less valuable to the advice receiver um and he also writes really well and writes these very very long essays he hasn't written something in a long time um so and he has tons of essays so if you go to his website which for reasons that he claims are historical and weird, weird is calzumius.com we'll put it in the show notes obviously yeah I, I'm, I'm sure i'm missing some cultural reference there somewhere uh and um Definitely recommended to go through at least what he calls his, his greatest hits of uh, of essays. Yep, I agree with. I, I've never read anything by him that I disagreed with. So you can mm -hmm. you can imagine me thumbs upping as you read through it. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I 
I have a whole bunch of sort of honorable mentions and that sort of thing. Um, oh, here's here's one that um, here's one that really fundamentally changed the way I viewed myself as a soloist and a business. And it it was, and I'm gonna tell you this quick story. It was so thoroughly absorbed into my brain that years later I went back and I was like, you know, I can't, I honestly can't remember what's in that book. I should probably read that again because I remember liking it. So I started reading it again and realized that not only did I remember everything in the book, I thought they were my own thoughts. I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? This is where I got that idea? I didn't even remember that. It just thoroughly changed. It's like my, it's like my, uh, my underlying business identity. It was like I read it right after I left uh, my only, my first and only corporate job, and I was going to uh, work at a consulting firm as a software developer, sort of a boutique development shop. And right around that time, I read that book, and it just soaked in. And the the core the core premise of the book. I, at least, you know, the, the part that sticks out to me the most and the one that I tell people about all the time is that there are sort of three personalities that exist in a business and you need all three and they can all be in one person or it could be that you hire people to do one or the other or it could be that you have, a, you know, you actually have a team, uh, multiple people. And it sort of starts with this kind of, you know, the myth. The myth is... The, you know, this sort of, I, I think it's kind of an American thing, maybe it's not just American, but it's just sort of this myth of like the entrepreneur who like makes amazing bread and decides to go out on their own and they start a shop, a bakery and, you know, and they're sort of like standing on the craggy mountaintop, self-made millionaire, you know, bread baker. And that's BS. So it, and then it goes into dismantling the, or at least walking through the most obvious common pitfalls of being good at a skill like baking bread or building react apps and then mistakenly thinking that you can just magically have a business so maybe you're, <laughs> you you work at a bakery or you work at a, a you know fortune 500 company writing rails apps or react apps and you're like oh i'm underpaid or i'm dissatisfied for some reason i'm sick of this commute i don't like getting up this early i'm going to start my own business why should they be making all the profits which is great that's fine but then just to imagine that you're going to go out and people are just going to magically throw money at you is is so naive that it's almost arrogant so he gets into like okay the three personalities technician is is the one that's the one that most i most freelancers i come across were a technician inside of a company and then they went solo and they just assumed that, well, these skills were valuable to my employer. They must be valuable to other people. So I'm just going to, you know, tell people there's a Lance available. I'm a free Lance and I can go fight for you. And if they, if they don't develop the other two personalities or the other two aspects of their personality or get them covered by somebody else, they're going to be in big trouble. And the other one is the entrepreneur or the executive. And that's the person who's looking at the horizon, seeing what's next, setting the vision, setting the strategy for achieving the vision. The, the technician is the one that executes the delivery of the vision. 
And then there's a manager personality. And the manager is kind of, you know, as you can imagine, the go-between between those two parties. So the technician, you can think of the technician also as a COO where they're, they're making the trains run on time and, uh, they, they, uh, there's, here's a here's a key insight from the book. There is supposed to be friction between those three parties. It's not supposed to be happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. The friction between those three personality types is what makes it work. So attempting to, if you're in a situation like that, where you've got like a CEO and you're the COO and the CEO keeps flipping the apple cart over and you're like, I just picked up those apples, you know, constantly changing where the goalposts are and stuff like that. Um, that friction is supposed to be there. So trying to get rid of that friction is a mistake. It's not, it's not about getting rid of the friction and you know, you do want, you want that tension there so that the CEO can't just be rudderless. You know, you want to be the sort of like the CEO is like the kite and the, the, the technician is the string, you know, hold the person holding the string. As soon as you let go of that string, the kite's just going to flutter to the ground. So there's, you need the both though. So anyway, that's enough about that. It's, it's another, yet another short book. It's a classic. Um, I think if you read it now, I don't know. It's hard for me to tell. I, I think if you read it now, a lot of the ideas that were in it, because it's so old that a lot of the ideas that are in it have kind of bubbled into business culture. So I suspect that it might be old news at this point, but at the point, time when I read it, which would have been about nine, maybe 98, 99, it was, it was, I was, I just, it a hundred percent went straight to my long-term memory. I was like, okay, this is me now. <laughs> so very good book. Very cool. um, um, yeah, we should probably cut over to pitch. Probably wrap up. Yeah. Any, you have, you have maybe one last, one last book you want to suggest? Uh, yeah, this is a really practical one. Eric sent it in ahead of the time, ahead of time. Cause he knew he couldn't make it. Uh, getting things done by David Allen. Another one of those books that's just super practical and another one that I adopted immediately. I went out and bought a filing cabinet the day after I read that book, uh, like a giant four drawer, like Han filing cabinet to put in my basement. And it's a hundred percent great. If you're, if you feel like you're not getting things done, you feel disorganized or you feel like you've got bees buzzing around your head all the time because of all the to do's, then uh, it's a great book to read. Very simple strategy. Totally works. Uh, yes, so I, I think you need to be a little more disciplined than I am. I, I, I tried on a few occasions and I was like, yes, but like I, I had too many, oh, but I'll just do this. I'll just do that. And, um, strangely enough, then, well, I didn't get things done. So, <laughs> so do you disagree with I, it or it just didn't work for you? I think that I am just not a focused, disciplined enough person to do it. Probably if I were to adopt those strategies, that they would work well. Um, it could be that I'm doing too many things, although I've reduced those in the last few years, so it would work better now. But I was, like, was, and I guess into some degree, always putting out too many fires. Mm. I, I, I probably should at some point try it again. Um, but of the short period of time in which I tried it, I was, like, half, like, I was partly miserable and partly frustrated and partly guilty. Huh, Interesting. Well, for me, I specifically use it with my email inbox. That's that's the biggest place because that's that's my big inbox. But uh, oh my, God, my inbox, my inbox, <laughs> my, my inbox. Uh, it's uh, uh, yeah, 
one of these days I'll, I'll see the end of it. Um, <laughs> so, so I can hope. Yeah. I was in box zero yesterday. I'm up to 35 now, but I mean, he, he goes into a, a particular strategy for like that situation, you know, it may, maybe it didn't, it didn't work for Ruben, but maybe it'll work for you that he's like, okay, the problem, you know, here's the strategy, here's the tactics, here's what you do, but how do you get to a place where you can even do this stuff? Because you're probably under a mountain of garbage right now. How do you get out from under the mountain of garbage? And that's, that is a big piece of the book. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll reread it. I'll give it another shot. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, uh, to, to try it again. <laughs> yeah. If you have a, if you have a jam packed inbox, I would, I would give it another try. Okay. <laughs> You got any picks? I got a quick, book. quick one. Um, my son wanted to, he's like, hey, dad, can we play? He wanted to buy a video game so on the Xbox. So we went and played. It's an older game. I think it's from probably 2012 or so, but it's called Little Nightmares. And it's a puzzle game. It's kind of like, you know, you're, uh, it's kind of like a side scroller where you're, you're sort of walking through this surreal, creepy, freaky world. And trying to basically escape from this. It's just the creepiest, creepiest art I've seen in a long time. It is perfectly named. It's like your character is this little kid wearing a rain raincoat, a teeny little kid wearing a yellow raincoat and no no shoes or anything. And they're just trapped in this creepy, creepy <laughs> building of some kind. And you, like you can't see the, the kid's face is just sort of this anonymous, you're this anonymous little kid. And there are these gross, like disgusting monsters. It's kind of like a, a little bit, uh, it's just so good. It's so good. And what is it be good for? What's that? What, what age? I'm just wondering if it would be good for my almost 13 year old. Probably. It's hard to say. Like my son's eight, which is probably too young for most kids, but I was like, I was like, he can handle this. So, but <laughs> eight's probably on the young side. I think it's rated teen. Uh, it's mm -hmm. not, I don't think there's any blood. It's not like that. It's, it's creepy though. It like, it leaves, it didn't give me nightmares, but it leaves an after image. And check it out. Check out a video. We'll, we'll link to a video in the show notes, but it is extremely impressive. Very well done. And you just like, I mean, it was the middle of the day and we were like, uh, gross. <laughs> it's, I can't remember the last time a video game did something like that to me. Uh, and the only wow. other pick, just a, a plug for the pricing seminar, which is available for sign up now. Going to be, I'm not sure when this will be released, but it'll right around the time that I'm starting the beta for the pricing seminar. So you can go to thepricingseminar.com to learn more about that and enter your email address to be added to the announcement list. And that's it. Okay. So, uh, I've got two picks. Uh, I'm currently in Shanghai. I'm in China for almost three weeks, my longest trip ever. And, uh, I have finally managed to get WeChat payment to work. It's actually kind of hard for foreigners to do it. It is hard to exaggerate how extraordinary, Ordinary, this payment system is. Mm. I mean, I've been writing, like, I've been posting on Facebook telling uh, my friends about my experiences. It is amazing, amazing, amazing. Like, I went to, like, the local fruit vendor down the street from my hotel, and the assumption was that I would pay on my phone. But 
I, like he took out the scan, which just scanned the barcode on my phone. It is sophisticated. It is clever. I mean, it's a total violation of anything people in the West would consider to be privacy. <laughs> but among other things, like when you pay with WeChat, then they have a record of everything you bought from everyone. So imagine the mountain of data they're sitting on. Right. But also you then become like associated with the company and like that you paid for. It's it's brilliant in in a lot of ways and it is so far beyond anything i've seen in any other country um and in terms of how pervasive it is like i've heard stories of beggars on the street having qr codes so that you can pass them and scan it and and pay them that way and i think the only part of that i don't believe is that people pay beggars on the street in china (laughs) um so uh so that's pick number one pick number two uh is um, just a, a program that my uh, 15-year-old is involved in that it's an amazing program. I think very, very, very few people listening to this could actually go to it. It's called Meet, the Middle East Entrepreneurs of Tomorrow. And it's for high school kids. And it's half Israeli, half Palestinian, half girls, half boys. And they learn Python programming and then mobile programming. And they learn presentation skills, entrepreneurship, and the the idea is let's teach these kids to build businesses and let's teach these kids to work together um, because they're the next generation. And, uh, you know, maybe there'll be hope for peace if they can talk to each other. And uh, I can tell you that both as a father and as a developer and as a business owner, I am completely and utterly blown away by this program. Um, and so it's worth going to the website and seeing what they do. And if you can do something that's even a tenth as good of this in your community, um, or you can find out about similar things, if there are similar things, it'll be amazing. Truly, truly amazing stuff. Mm. Check that out. Great. All right. Well, now that we have um, given you lots, lots of things to read, uh, hopefully you will go off and buy them and read them. And send us feedback. If you have books or other things you want, you think we should read about, let us know. Um, how can they contact us? I never remember the email address. Was it freelancers at devchat.tv? I think that's true. And if not, then the actual email address will be in the show notes. Yeah, or so I'd go. like to think. <laughs> <laughs> or just hit us, hit me on Twitter, Jonathan Stark. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's good. Um, all right. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks to all of you for listening. And we'll be back next week on The Freelancer Show. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.